the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. And if you watch this podcast and you're not subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. And please, or if you're listening, please hit the subscribe button and definitely tell your friends about this podcast. That's how we grow. We're trying to grow. We appreciate you watching, appreciate you being a part of this. So uh, without further ado, our guest today is Dave Temko. He is president of C2 Financial. His extensive background in all facets of commercial lending, sales, leasing, and experience in the banking industry sets him apart as a mortgage leader. Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Great to be here. Yeah. So C2, man. Uh been around a while. You guys have pretty much the biggest mortgage broker shop in the country. Lots of loan officers. So you get to like you get your you got your fingers on the pulse of what's happening, you know, in the in the front lines of uh, origination. Absolutely. We're the longest standing mortgage broker in the nation. Huge. Yeah. So how did uh you know, how did your role kind of shift into the president? Talk about that. Yeah, I um I grew up in the business. Um was mentored under a lot of top producers through coming home from college or and doing internships and stuff like that. But I graduated in 2007 and uh, saw the market fall out and saw, you know, was, a lot of my dad's hunting and fishing buddies are guys I looked up to. They're kind of mentors to me. Mm-hmm. I'll never f- forget being out with those guys, having, you know, beers and a bite to eat. They used to get together every Tuesday. And I remember my dad kind of pulling his hair out going, oh my God, the market's falling out. And I remember oh, seeing, oh seven, yeah. yeah, right. And I saw my dad's buddy who's in commercial real estate, just kind of steady Eddie and was like, yep, I'll another beer. And I kind of realized that's something I wanted to pursue. So I went down the commercial brokerage route, um, got a lot of great sales training, you know, how to get, you know, open, you know, cold calling with interest generator, open-ended questions, close for meetings, just the, you know, boilerplate, boiler room kind of stuff. Smile dial. And um, that evolved into commercial lending, um, ended up getting into banking, and then eventually bringing all those kind of, that skill set back to the company and growing a commercial division. Mm -hmm. Um, Trained a gentleman, uh, mentored him for a couple years, and then um, when my father passed away, it was a time for, you know, I was called to lead and I answered. The answer was yes. Yeah. And that was a couple of years ago. So now I lead all fronts. So forward mortgage, reverse mortgage, commercial mortgage, and we do some sales as well. We've got 1,100 loan officers and we're in 33 states. So Man, that's cute. Yeah. yeah. Such a uh, such a great company. And you guys, you guys hear about you all the time. So glad you could, you could come to the podcast. Absolutely. Man. Thank Absolutely. you. So, um, Talk about C2 and kind of how you guys are, you know, kind of a, a leader in what, you know, what you're doing. Um, well, I think it comes down to culture. Uh, we have a very empowered culture. People have come, loan officers gravitate towards C2 because they are not interested in having their hands held and we're not here to hold it. You know, right, we right. set them up with a platform for them to be very entrepreneurial, yeah. but uh, we give them all the shit that they don't want to do. You know, Mm -hmm. they focus on what they're the best at, which is being out in front of clients, out front of partners and structuring loans and getting them fast with the right lender um, to ensure that all parties are happy. So we take care of legal licensing compliance. Um, You know, we do, we have got a a extensive network of of lenders like yourself Mm -hmm. and, um, and and a huge community for people to tap into loan officers to tap into. So where they would be working at a, at a, their own broker owner shop, they have access to 1,100 people that have got, oh, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of experience all in one place where they can go, hey, I've got a situation. 
what what I do here. Then you get answers really quick, solutions as you know, lightning fast. That's so cool. it's 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 really cool. Yeah, I've been to one of your. I think it's called C two Connect, right? Where you guys kind of put on a. Uh, I call it dog and pony show, but it's really like, you know, you guys have the lenders come, they do pitches, they got booths or whatever. And it's like a, it's an event. It's, it's like an a educational mini party. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've, yeah, so I know they've evolved over, over the years. I think I was at one maybe five years ago or something like that, but um, certainly growing. And um, you guys offer a lot of support with very little like monetary requests, like you don't charge them a lot, right? What's the yeah, our model hasn't changed since yeah. its inception and we pioneered the, the business. We're a 90 10 split shop with a $250 admin. You know, it's pretty flat. You don't get your check and wonder where the rest of it went to some fee, some whatever yeah. it is. You know, you know, they come on, it's it's what it, that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. you, you go out, you close a loan, your file comes in, the commission comes in, we clear the file, you get paid out, you know exactly what you're getting, right. So there's been a trend, I think, from people who were retail mm-hmm. uh, going over to being brokers, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to actually have a broker's license. You just have a real, like a real estate license or have a, just your NMLS. Like it's not like you have to go out and get a broker license and start your own broker shop. That's what you do if you were starting your own broker shop. But for to become a C2 loan officer, you just, what, you have NMLS, so you have to have a real estate license too? or Yeah, so a lot of the folks that are coming from the retail world are under a DFPI license, mm-hmm. um, which typically requires them to be W-2. I don't think we need to get into the nuances around how to be W-2 or 1099, but traditionally our loan officers are 1099, and that's how our model works successfully. Um, and that does require, in California, to have a DRE license. Um, so... Having a DRE license allows you to have be paid 1099 to your corporation here in California and a few other states, um, and it allows you to really be independent. I mean, it's about you know running your own business under our platform, yep. um, but you can focus on you know we're not dictating you know what systems you use, what vendors you're working with, all that stuff. You just have the best AEs with the best lenders yep. and a platform to just plug in and take off. So. Um, yeah, it, it works. It's it's certainly been a place where it, it took a lot of time for people to get acclimated to. Mm-hmm. And since I've kind of taken things over, we definitely want to have a, a quicker ramp up, like a quick start program, because a lot of times there can be some analysis paralysis. You're coming, you got 100 different lenders, you can use whatever you want. Sure. It's kind of nice to have at least a little bit of a some guardrails of going, hey, this is how individuals or loan officers found success earlier on, or what successful loan officers are using yeah. and having that guidance. And then once they get more acclimated, the water's warm, they go, okay, well, I've got some unique deals and I want to go outside that box and find those, you know, different lenders that I might not have been more familiar with. So, That's cool. Yeah. I I, I'm, I remember <clears throat> being 1099 and then having to switch to W2 and I oh. hated it. No. I was like, this is the worst. No, those are the days <laughs> of the golden handcuffs. You're like, yeah. you know. Because 1099 gives you that freedom to write off stuff within your own corporation, which we, we have a lot of expenses as mortgage people, right? Like, there's all kinds of stuff. So it's not uh, what you make; it's what you keep. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> ain't that the truth. Um, so the the trend. Let's talk about that. The trend from retail to brokerage. Like I know, um, if you are in retail, like you work for like let's say Wells Fargo or even like a guaranteed rate. Yep. Of, right. Yep. And so the reason why people are leaving those companies is because they have limited product, probably, and maybe even like you know, the, their pricing is, is, you know, kind of their own, it's their own lending, like their mm-hmm. own, they're the lender too. So they have to, they don't really have the options to choose from a, just a, a ton of different lenders that might have on that day, way better rates. 
Is that kind of how like? Absolutely. But I think it, it's bigger than that because, you know, they've got managers on top of managers on top of, you know, all this bloat, you yeah. know, all this yeah. cost right. that a bank incurs that is a function of their pricing, right? Well, mm -hmm. on the broker side, it's lean and mean. And that's kind of the hard part for people coming over from retail. They don't want to leave their their friends or their family or all these people that they built into this model, this branch that they have um, that really aren't adding a lot of value for them sure. to be successful, but it's kind of like, it's just hard for them to kind of ripcord on that. And I get it. You don't want to leave a child behind, but sometimes you need to in order to make money, especially in this market. So yeah. uh, coming over to this, you know, to C2, you're just, you're lean and mean. You get the, you know, the best pricing. It's rack rate. It's wholesale pricing. Uh, we have preferred pricing with a lot of our our lenders because of our volume and our size. Mm -hmm. um, so they they come over and once they get, you know, it only takes so many times you can lose a deal to a broker. They go, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> yeah, I remember going from a lender to being a broker and just feeling it was just so much more exciting because it was like, it didn't feel like the Wild West, but I want to say Wild West for some reason because it's like, <laughs> it was like you could make your own path. Like you, it wasn't like you were stuck with this, you know, way of doing things and you weren't stuck with just one product or one, but, uh, but yeah, so I remember the feeling was, and plus it was probably just amazing time, you know, the business. I think I was uh, a lender from 97 till about two, 1999. And then I went to a broker shop and I was like, this is the way to go. Mm -hmm. So much cooler. Yeah. I mean, you never really have to say no, you might have to say not now, Yeah, but you know, you're always going to have options and it's not like you're a, you know, a one pump chump working at a bank. Mm -hmm. I've worked at a bank and, you know, it's nothing worse than bringing in a client or bringing in a good file. And, you know, your, your income is de determined by whether or not a credit officers, you know, having a good day or not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember those days and it's, it sucks. I mean, and plus it's like no good deed goes unpunished. It's like when you work at a bank, it's like do well, but don't do too well because then if depending on if it's public or not, they're going to figure out if their sales force is getting, paid too much. And mm. then every year it's like, okay, we're having a sales rally. And it's like, Hey, you did great this year. We're going to need more production, but we're going to pay you less. So thank <laughs> right. you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I think uh, with the interest rates so high right now, I know they're coming down a little bit, but what has been kind of, what has been C2's focus or um, advantage? You know, obviously you have a lot of options, but during this, this challenging rate environment, what do you guys have been doing? That's kind of winning for your team. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it really does kind of have, it comes down to that optionality. You know, yeah. when you have lenders that are in or out of the market, you know, you have lenders that are extremely competitive one day and our loan officers have the innate ability through our systems to kind of identify that lending source that's going to be the most competitive for whoever they have in their pipeline at that moment. And they're going to fill that bucket. And all of a sudden that lender's out of the market because, okay, we've got that bucket filled. We can't lend anymore at that at that yeah. spread or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else kind of backfills. So it's a, a constant ebb and flow, which is really nice. Um, certainly there's some particular lenders that eat up a lot of our volume, but having that additional percentage of folks that, that fill that, I mean, that's really the beauty of C2 and the broker model is, right. is just having the free market to dictate or tell you, or you find where the best deal is for whatever your, your client's needs are. It's good. Mm -hmm. So out of like 1100 loan officers, you're seeing probably some just crush it even in this market for sure. And some that are just like, God, are they still alive? Like, you know, <laughs> um, but like some that aren't doing any deals, maybe they're retiring or maybe they're not, you know, but, um, what has been the kind of the best, what have you seen being like the best, um, st strategies of what people are doing? Yeah, for sure. It right now? Well, per capita, I would say that based on the data, 
the loan officers at C2 close more loans per loan officer of any other firm That's cool. in the nation. So we have the hardest hitting, the most impactful, the most talented loan officers that source the most loans of any other firm in the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the loan officers that I see doing the most, they're really strong on on a lot of different things. I'd say they're very present on social media. They're really creative. Uh, and they really create like a network of, you know, whether it's realtors or referral partners that are their business partners, but they're really their friends. And mm -hmm. it's like a circle of friendship and trust. And, you know, they get into a position where there's really no alternative or no reason why they wouldn't want them to be worked, work with that individual, that loan officer, especially when they have that optionality. So uh, I've seen, people that are super successful that have been in the business for a long time continue to find that success and continue to drive that creativity through, you know, social media or just all that different levels. But I've also had people that have come, a gentleman jumps out of mine in particular, was started in uh, the business in Washington, decided to move his family to Alabama. Hmm. And he's- Big change. Made, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. And um, made a goal that he wanted to be in the top 20 in C2 in the first year. Nice. And he's, he's making it happen. That's it's, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. His Instagram handle, uh, David Kakish is his name, and he's he's a character. Is he just doing like daily posts and daily making, posts, like, super fun? Stuff, he's actually really savvy on AI, so okay. he's adopting that and using AI in his social media stuff. But he's really creative, and um, it's just really hard not to want to like him, you know, and <laughs> yeah. work with him. You That's know? cool. It's great. Um, yeah. So so you know, I know people used to buy a ton of leads. People used to, I mean, obviously we got the, the realtor business, which is down because it's just the listings are down. What are you seeing? Are you seeing anyone buying leads still? Or is that just kind of a thing of the past? Because the rate, those were more about rates. I haven't seen um, leads being that productive or that successful. Sure, there's some call center models where it's just dialing and dialing and dialing and <clears throat> they yep. can be. Uh, I think that those models and those leads are really good as soon as you have kind of a, a small refi environment. You know, mm -hmm. I think... I think we're probably hit a peak in terms of the rate rise. So as things come down, um, I think buying leads will probably become more popular. But I think that they're, I don't know, they're just pretty diluted. I think what you get for for what you pay is is not really all that great versus, you know, referrals. You yeah. know, you know, if you do great business, which if you've been in this business and you're still in this business now, it's because you do good business and right. you're a survivor. And generally people know you and you're consistent. You show up every day and you bring it and you find them, you know, great loans and close deals and make everybody happy, which is difficult. You know, yeah. there's a lot of different egos on every transaction, particular purchases, you know, yeah, for sure. and if you can appease all ends, you're going to win some more clients. You're going to get some more referral partners. And that's what I see happen. That's good. So you guys have some non-QM non lenders that you're, we're one of them. But uh, what do you think of non-QM? Like what's your, what's your thoughts on it? I think it's great. It fills a space for... Uh, entrepreneurs like ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, it takes a lot to make it specifically. We're in, Cal in Southern California. I mean, a lot having, of entrepreneurs here, yeah. <laughs> a lot of entrepreneurs here. Uh, cost of homes are, are definitely more here than some flyover states. Yep. Um, and it's an affordability factor, which I think is a reason probably a lot of states around us are, are seeing uh, populations grow because people are getting out of California. The, the, the California flight. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just not, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of tax returns on my day being a lender or a loan officer. Uh, but nowadays it's, you, you see a lot more stuff on schedule E's. You see a different, you know, 1120 you see different businesses that drive income to people's bottom line. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult for a cookie cutter bank or, you know, to get their head around that stuff, sure. you know, and they're just like, can't do that. And I think having access to non-QM lenders like yourself 
is a nice arrow in the quiver for a loan officer to to really you know drive value to somebody that would otherwise be super complex that they can get their head around mm-hmm. and having a lender that that gets it it's yeah, great it's good um technology i know you 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 guys probably with your 1100 loan officers there's guys that are still using 1003s with a pen you know <laughs> or even a pencil erasing it you know and then there's people that are probably using this the most tech savvy stuff so you probably see a big wide range of everything what do you what do you see with, that's working right now technology wise um i think there's certainly people that are adopting ai and yeah. making that useful to how, um, how are they how are they using ai in in lending I like think as a broker, I think it's utilizing things that wouldn't otherwise need your personal time. If you can have it to where it can write an email or it can read a 1003 or it can from an underwriting perspective mm-hmm. or just something that doesn't need to have that interpersonal follow up, like the initial conversation, like there's yeah. no, there's no, I hope not a robot that could do what we're doing, you know, no. certainly can. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Although I have heard. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to enjoy tequila like we would. I tell you that much. Right, right. <laughs> they wouldn't look as good as us. Well, no. maybe they would. They're, they're perfect, I guess. Are you seeing people that are really doing well, are they are using technology or is it just more about relationships still? No, I think it's important to have a good process. And I think improving your process with good technology is going to do that. I mean, the days of taking carbon copy paper and filling out a loan application and pulling apart three different things and putting in three different stacks <laughs> is long gone, obviously. Right. You know, my dad pioneered that space out of that. He started taking 1003s through Excel. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we got into the business a long time ago. But I think if there's there's so much technology out there and so much improving, it's hard to keep up on it. Right. But like I said earlier, it's like if you could get into a place and you see what successful people are using, then there's no sense in reinventing the wheel. It's like, who do you emulate? Okay, I like I, every time I've ever worked at a company, it's like, who's at the top? Mm-hmm. I want to emulate if, if if he's a good dude or a good gal, that's who I want to be like. And yep. what are they doing to get, what did they do to get there? Right? right. What was the milestones, the steps they took? And if you can follow some of those footsteps, then it definitely can circumvent some pain points, you know, or hitting your head 100%. against the desk a few times. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I, I always think that like technology kind of takes away the personal touch sometimes. So there's got to be that ref, that fine line of, are we using technology just for convenience? Or are we going to, and, and is it going to take away that personal touch? Because if it takes away that personal touch, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot because, you know, sure, you might be able to do something faster, but are you having like, you know, fallout from that? Are you having maybe not repeat business because it was, there wasn't that relationship? You didn't create a relationship with that borrower or that buyer. And, and so I'm always kind of like weary a little bit of technology, but certainly, like you said, there's a lot of technology that's out there. It's just a matter of how you use it and kind of what you can do to not let that kind of go away yeah personal touch absolutely i think there's a way to do it and do it to scale like i was when i was just doing commercial loan origination i was just gunslinging like i had a system in my mind and how i would work and how Mm -hmm. i would develop that you know how that process worked yeah how i engage with the client understand their needs and then deliver on them Mm -hmm. and kind of work the file through and make sure that if it came off the tracks i knew how to get it back on but it wasn't but i wasn't really a systems guy i was like like I said, I was like, a, I was like a gunslinger, Yeah, you know, and I just knew how to get out in front of people and have, you know, understand them and connect. But there's other folks that are really good at systems. And so if you can kind of marry those together and you have that personal connection, but you have a great system and you can utilize technology that doesn't dilute that personal connection, right. then that's the win-win. That's for sure. the win-win. Do you see it like valuable to partner up with people like loan? Do you see some of your loan officers like a team? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, as independent 
and capable as everyone is, I think it, there is a power in numbers. There's certainly people in this market right now that are doing better than others and need support. Mm -hmm. Like they need boots on the ground in more open houses where otherwise loan officers are like, well, they're not that there's really talented loan officers that just don't have the business right now too. Right. So there's talented loan officers that we have that do have the business and like, Hey, we need some, we need support here or we need a Spanish speaking loan officer right. or we need, you know, whatever that might be, you can definitely backfill that with great talent, build a team. And that's one of my, you know, goals is to really grow the company by teams. That's cool. Um, one of the reasons I'm getting into or started a mini core division, because mm -hmm. it is a way to kind of build a PL and have a team lead with loan officers underneath and have support right there that allows it to scale on a little bit different than just kind of a solopreneur on in their on right. their own that we've always really had and attracted. So it's a way to grow. I mean, I like team sports, but it, you know, I play lacrosse, but I also play golf and it's just you against the ball. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably why I don't play as much golf anymore. Cause it's never fun. I mean, it's fun. Great. Get out, you get out there, but it's just like, it is, but there's always that one hit that brings you back. You're I like, know. Whack, and you're like, it's, it's like you, man, you, you I feel like Tiger Woods. <laughs> you blew up on all, all 17 holes and then you like birdie the last hole and you're like, Oh, I get it. This yeah, you're like, I'll do this again. I can do this. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> uh, speaking of personal stuff, what's the best and worst parts of being Dave Temko? Oh, well, the best, uh, I have a pretty good time no matter what I'm doing. If I'm, you know, it's, if I'm at work, I'm having a good time. Yep. I'm pretty loud in the office and um, I bring the energy. So I generally, if it's work or if it's out, I'm, I always, I have a ton of energy. I think, you know, and I know your, your pops always says like, <laughs> Dave, how do I bottle your energy? But <laughs> I don't know. Cause I hardly sleep. Um, but I, uh, I'm pretty energetic and I have a lot of fun. And, um, what'd you say? The worst thing? Yeah. What's the worst thing? Oh, I guess the worst thing don't is don't say a lot of energy. No, <laughs> I, there's a lot of stuff thrown out, thrown at me all the time. And, I have a hard time saying no. I try to be in a lot of places. Yeah. So I have a tendency to spread myself thin. So that would be kind of one thing that's difficult. So my goal is to really focus and be present no matter where I'm at. That's and um, that's something I'm working on. Okay, we all working on something, right? <laughs> right. Um, cool. What about uh, speaking kind of in that, about like that kind of theme? Um, failure. We all have had some failure. Oh, if yeah. you're successful... You've had to have failure. I know I've had a bunch, um, but it all, you pick yourself up, leads to you know, success. So what would you say is your favorite failure that you've had that you learned the most about, or either most about yourself or you've learned the most about life? Uh, well, I would say I've had a few failures, some in business, some personal. Um, I would say my, the biggest failure that I had on a personal Maybe just your favorite failure. <laughs> that's the biggest one. Just one you're like, that was a good one, and this is what happened that came out of it. Um, I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is being divorced. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah. Um, I mean, that's. But you learned some. You certainly learned something. Yeah. Uh, I've had. I'm a pretty independent guy, and so I was, um, pretty uncomfortable for a while, and um, we just, you know. A relationship that just stopped working and grew apart and um i found you know that it was better that we both found it was better to be on our own and yeah that was several years ago and a lot has happened in my life i've had a lot of personal growth a lot of business growth and uh, i would say that, that was a failure i mean i never in my wildest you know dreams of my life or visions that i'd be you know 39 and single but um 
that's the way it goes. You never know. You're dealt your own set of cards and you plan the best you can. So it's amazing how optimistic people are when they get married. <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't it like they don't tell 50, you about all this. It's like, like a 50% <laughs> chance it ain't going to work out. <laughs> totally. So, the odds are kind so of against you. People spend so much money. I mean, we were down in Mexico right before Thanksgiving and there was a, a buyout of the whole hotel, the mm -hmm. W, 500 people, young couple. They're, I think they're from San Diego. Um, but, you know, have a Mexican family and a lot of a huge family, mm -hmm. clearly with 500 people. And, you know, they're, they're spending, they, they bought out the whole hotel. They, they've paid for all the food. I mean, and then, you know, 50% chance. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was a good party. <laughs> but like, you know, you think about it, you, like if we went into things like taking risks in like business or like, but like, not, not like in bad risks, like, but like in like calculator, if we, if we went in with like that kind of energy, like and commitment to like make something work, whether it's a business or whether it's a, a sale or whether it's that next deal that you're trying to get, you know, I get people don't, they probably just don't ever think about the failure. They don't think that the could, that marriage could end in failure. They just think this is going to last forever. And it's going to win They're the optimism that they have to, right? Hey, it's an entrepreneurial opportunity. I mean, yeah. if you thought about every entrepreneurial thing or endeavor you took and just thought about the failure, you, or the possibility of failure, you probably wouldn't do it, right? Right. right. I mean, you got to go optimistically. I'm a eternal optimist, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, I had, I was, I generally have a vision for things in my life, whether it's, you know, like I said, business or personal. And sometimes there's setbacks, and you got to overcome them and dust yourself off and keep keep it moving. Yep. So, uh, with I think mortgages mm -hmm. and loan officers are kind of diminishing, right? Like, uh, I would say some. If you look at the statistics, I don't have it in front of me, but I think there's a lot of people that gave up their license, their mortgage license in this last year because of the rates. With the diminishing population of the loan, loan originator, what are you doing to grow? Because I know you have a vision to grow C2. What are you doing? I mean, even though it's like it's like something you know receding, mm -hmm. how do you go out and get more LOs? Like what's your, I don't want you to give away your secrets, but like <laughs> what's your, I know your vision's to grow. So like, tell us a little bit about what you're doing to That's grow. That's what my sister says to me all the time. Like on these, don't give away all our trades. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think it is, there's, we're in a cyclical environment in yeah. industry, you know, and every eight, 12 years, this happens. We've seen these before. We'll see them again. Yep. Um, and it's an opportunity to really cull the herd. I mean, I, I don't really particularly appreciate it when it's super frothy and interest rates are low and everybody's a loan officer. And then all of a sudden rates pop up like 150 basis points and everybody's, you know, as my yes. dad would say, cause he was from Jersey back to pumping gas. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> But um, because we have to pump our own gas out there and get your gas pumped out there. So anyhow, yeah, um, I remember I remember I used to do that was one of my first jobs as I really? was, a, I was a yeah, what do you call it? Full service. Yeah, I, the, <laughs> I remember doing, you know, doing the windows. And, yeah, you got to start somewhere, man. Yeah, but I, I think, well, it comes down to affordability. And we talked about California being super expensive right. and um, our growth has really happened organically where our loan officers have great clients that they've done a phenomenal job on helping them buy a home or refinance their home. And with the way remote, how remote things have gotten in terms of work, people are going, you know, maybe we should move somewhere else. Maybe mm -hmm. my business is moving here. Maybe it's not the, my, the company I work for decided to move to a state that's more conducive for business. Right. Sure. So we want to make sure that we continue to facilitate the needs of those clients. And ultimately my client is the loan officer. I want to make sure that my client can, we're kind of B to B to C. So I want to make sure that the company C2 can, can ensure that they can continue to deliver value to their client and remain, keep a client for life. 
so we've grown to states. We're in 33 states now. Um, I used to joke around, and I've said it before, I, I didn't want to go into states that didn't have a national sports team. <laughs> because I felt like somebody you know, did some expensive demographic study to see if it would support a sports team a long time ago. Yeah, and if it doesn't have one, you know, and if, and if there's not one state. there, then where are the homes are, you know, because it's a function of, you know, it, it costs us money to run a business. And I think it's, you know, a loan officer needs to be able to do a loan that generates enough income for, for their service uh, to be compensated fairly, ultimately delivering value, but ultimately something that keeps them profitable and the business profitable. Sure, so, sure. um, <clears throat> So I look at states and the medium home price. If it's a 150 grand, it's pretty tough to make a buck on a deal like that. But there's a need. And sometimes you got to give out some free pizzas to, you know, to get, you know, that client or get a relationship or whatever it might be. Sure. So we've expanded. We've gone into states. I mentioned Alabama was particularly for one loan officer. Call me up. Hey, I'm moving here. I want to get in the state. And I'm mm -hmm. like, let's do it. You know, say less. Let's make it happen for you. There's some big houses in Alabama. You just got to live there. No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. I <laughs> yeah, would live yeah. there. I love the South. No, I love I, Southern I mean, people. I, when I lived in Tennessee, we'd <laughs> drive through Alabama and it was like, there's some really nice parts. I was like, I can live here. But then, you know, you got the bugs and the, the hot, but Tennessee's that way too. So it's, I love some of the Southern charm. You know, like I oh, said, yeah. I have a hard time saying no to things, but there is, I was talking to the gentleman in the South and when people are invited to something that sounds like, like, Hey, you should da 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 da. And they just go, sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, sounds not that fun. I'm not coming. It's not that I am coming, but sounds fun. You have to commit. It's no commitment. It's a great way to, to not commit, but not offend. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Let's talk about habits. I've been seeing you on social media. Mm -hmm. um, you're, do, you're doing a lot of talking, kind of like not really motivational speaking, but you're giving like advice about you know how to become successful and things like that. What are some habits that you do in your personal day to day that kind of contributes to your success. Yeah, I think it's always nice to have a routine and hold yourself to that routine. You know, shut out that those little voices in the morning where yep. it's like, you know, if you if you get up and you have a plan, hey, I'm going to make it to this workout class at six o'clock, you, you're there, you start your day and it just sets your day up for success. So I think having routine, having a plan, having an agenda, uh, making sure you value your time and the people want to be utilize, use your time, then they have a reason for it and you have yep. a reason to talk to them, right? Um, so I won't take meetings that don't have agendas. Um, I'm generally really active. I think there's a lot of mental health that comes from physical health. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty, that's a huge part for me. So there's a good like work life balance there. Yep. Um, and then it's, I think it's important to take calculated risks on a regular basis when mm -hmm. you can. Um, if you're renting, I would say, look at, you know, if there's an opportunity to find a property that would only that has units in it and like let's say you're in an apartment and you're paying i don't know twenty five hundred dollars a month well if you could look at a fourplex a duplex to a fourplex and it requires maybe 10 20 percent down but the income from the property would cover the mortgage and the, the remainder is really not that much more than 2500 bucks it really doesn't change your lifestyle that much but it puts mm -hmm. you in a position for long-term wealth growth and yep. strategy and you get you know compounding you know you leverage. know, income. So yeah. Leverage is huge. Assets are huge. And, um, growing your assets is, is, it was really important. But one thing that's, that's really also important that I think is overlooked is, um, you know, you're a liability advisor. I think mm -hmm. it's interesting to see, to, to consider a loan officer as a liability 
advisor, a debt advisor, you know, because your balance sheet has assets and liabilities mm -hmm. and you got to weigh those out and you got to make sure your assets are protected. And, you know, if there's leverage that the leverage and that liability is is correct. It is it is to market. It's the best it can be. Mm -hmm. And being in touch with a loan officer is going to help you achieve a lot of that stuff. Cool. Yeah, I haven't heard of it called a uh, debt advisor. That's, yeah. that's cool. A debt or a liability advisor. Liability. Yeah. yeah. Debt sounds bad. Right? I know. Debt sounds like death or, you know, people say debt's bad. Don't take debt. Wasn't that but the definition actually, of mortgage? Yeah, it is the definition of mortgage. <laughs> the death contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. When I found out about that, I was like, really? That's what I'm selling right now? It's a death contract. It's so true though. But you know, I, I don't know why they called it that, but you know, I guess probably cause it's like, this is going to be for the rest of your life. Right. It's like a, it's a 30 year. Well, I think you have it until the debt dies, right? You have it in the mortgage. I mean, yeah, until you have, it's it has to the last payment until it dies. You, you have it. You yeah. Know? So, so this the, doesn't, you don't have to die to, no, no, <laughs> no, that that's that it feels like it. Like, man, 30 years. And then people just go and refinance back to 30 years. Re, then they refinance again back to 30 years. And so like, you know, I think there are people out there that do pay down their mortgage to, to zero, obviously, but, a lot of people, I think, do this trend of refinance every few years, every five years when the rates drop, pull out cash, go back to 30 because it's all about the payments, right? Mm -hmm. Which comes back to your point about being a debt advisor. Like when is debt good debt versus bad debt? You know, and I think when you're leveraging, that's when it's good debt. When you're leveraging an asset that appreciates. Yeah. And you have a fixed debt. Like if you don't have an adjustable, but you have a fixed debt rate and the assets are appreciating, you, you can create wealth with that. Well, you can certainly build a portfolio uh, a lot more sizable with with leverage. Yeah, you know, double sure. you can double it. You know, if you're yeah. buying a two million dollar property, if if you're buying two million dollars in cash, well, then you get one property. If you got two million, you put a million dollars down, you have a million dollars in debt. You can use that other million dollars to buy something else, and you double your cash flow and get get better cash on cash return. And generally, your return should be higher than the interest rate. Otherwise, <clears throat> you're kind of negative. Yeah. That that's that's kind of the conundrum in the. Mm -hmm. You know, in some of the commercial real estate space is you have cap rates that are less than what the interest rate is. Yep. Um, and, and so that was that's a tricky one. But I think that, you know, certainly an ass. I mean, mortgages in the twos or threes or even fours. I mean, those ones, those you're sitting on an ass. That is an asset for sure. You can get much stronger arbitrage, you know, putting that money to work at a much higher rate of return right now. I mean, you can put it in treasury and be making 150, 200 basis points over that, you know. Yep. So which is. I would think one of the safest places. <laughs> Who knows? Anymore? Yeah, well, well, it's we've been told that it is. Yeah, safest. we've been told, but been told. they're spending like Until a drunk, it's not. they're spending like a drunk sailor over there. Right. <laughs> I think we're still the best looking one at the bar, the, at, the, at, the, at the drunk sailor bar. But you know, uh, let's talk about. So ha we talked a little bit about habits. Um, you know, you have you have some hobbies. I know you golf, you travel. What other stuff do you do that just to kind of bluff steam? Yeah, I have a good amount of hobbies. I, I hunt, I fish, I surf, and I play golf. Um, and I like to do that with a lot of friends and a lot of family. I'm getting my little nephew into golf. That's cool. He's pretty stoked. He's six years old, and I like to spoil him and get him all the awesome colored golf balls. He, he, he's also, <laughs> he gets excited about that and get him some golf clubs and take him out to play. I think if there's one thing that I could – instill in him is that he's got to be a good golfer. You know, if you figure it yeah. out early on, it makes it way easier because it's hard as shit now. When you have a dad or an uncle <laughs> oh my gosh. that teaches you from a young age, I did oh. not have that. I, I think I started when I was 30, maybe 30 years old. Maybe maybe a little younger, like 27. Because it was because of the mortgage business. Like realtors were golfers and I was like, 
I need to do this. And I got out and I just started hitting balls, taking some lessons. And then once I think I got to the point in my business where I didn't need to do that for business, that's I just was like, and I had kids and I'm like, forget it. I'm, mm-hmm. done. I'm done golfing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's always travel. Travel's, I've done a lot of traveling. Yeah. Um, I try to keep it, I try to, you know, be a bit more of a homebody. I find myself to always be on the go. And that's mm-hmm. kind of one of my, my role as the leader of C2. I, I'm generally the one kind of on the street, kind of shaking hands and kissing babies, meeting Meeting new loan officers officers or lenders or, you know, doing whatever it is out as the front of the company. I enjoy Mm it. It's a pretty social, uh, extroverted individual. Um, So it is fun, um, but it does take me away from, you know, some things I need to do in the office. And I try to kind of limit those those things. But and it's funny, I've traveled a lot of places and I realize like I just went to Australia kind of on a whim trip with a buddy to go watch a concert <laughs> and went to, yeah, we've, we've decided to book a trip on a Friday. It's a long of, flight. <laughs> it's a long flight for two grown men in economy. <laughs> but, yeah. And you're not, you're not a small guy. You're tall. You're six, <laughs> three or four. Whatever. Yeah. It was, I'm six, two, but, um, and then we went down there. It was fun. And, and honestly, I would say Australia, it's really not that much like the gold coast and where I used to live in Byron Bay. It's not that much different than Southern California. Here I spent, you know, 14 hours on a flight <laughs> to be in the same place. <laughs> yeah. To be in a place. That's like, just like what I'm, which is an accent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's funny. They, I, but I have the accent. Yeah. You know? you're the one, yeah. I got the, the accent, accent, which is kind of nice. Another thing I just saw in the news was the, um, I think it was a court case about real estate agents. Have you seen this where yes. we're like, they're fighting over this, this 3% and you know, 6% total comp. Um, what do you think is going to be the outcome of that? Um, well, it's interesting. And it, there's probably been years of quasi collusion, you know, and, and, you know, that cat's coming out of the bag, but at the end of the day, it was a contract that was agreed upon, you yeah. know, as a seller, you agree to, you know, a five or a six point fee. And there's um, agents out there that can be lower, right? There's the, the red fins. You have agents the, and yeah, absolutely. You, you can list with Redfin for a point, but you don't, but they don't really advertise the fact that you're still going to pay two and a half pi- points to a, a buy side agent. Buy side, yeah. Right. And so you're you're not gonna sell your house unless you have a buyer. Right? right. Right. And and I get it. I think the perspective is like um they want to incentivize more agents to show the house and they're not gonna do that if the comp isn't there. Sure. Which is, you know, I, I think not the best business practice, but I, there's also a component of if somebody's a buyer, they're not paying their they're not paying their agent. And that goes on residential and commercial. If you're sure. a tenant rep, you're not paying. Right. It's you know, from the seller. It's the same thing. It's from the landlord. It's from the seller. So um, if it gets disrupted, it's probably going to come down to a selling, a buying agent is probably going to represent their clients like an attorney would. Yeah. You know, it's an hourly fee. And or if you want to see six homes, it's this much. If you want to see eight homes, it's that much. If you want to see 12 homes, it's that much. Like, what do you want to see? You want to see all your options? Or yeah. you want to see just these ones that might fit? Well, yeah, I want to see all my options, it, yeah. right? My options are everything. That's why we have C2. Options are everything, right? Right, right. So um, from a lender perspective. But but I think that will get disrupted. I mean, $1.7 billion that, you know. Big, big fee. Yeah. That's a pretty big chunk. That's going to disrupt some things, you know. And I, don't like I think it's it. going to put some shops out of I business. I just think they just it's just regulations, more government getting their hands and stuff. <laughs> it's like just, I love, I love that there's models out there. Like I think Compass might have their different model and. Redfin, and they can all just decide, like, hey, I, I don't, or for sale by owner, right? And then you have no fee. Yeah, well, I think the kicker is on that, you can't get it on the MLS. And that's mm. where so the rubber meets fee, the road. Yeah, it's like, 
you know, in a market specifically like this one where there's no inventory is no really inventory, low. Yeah. Hey, I could put my house on the market just just, in front of it. You'll sell you it. You know, bring me an offer. Right. Oh, that sounds like a good number. Let's go. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's not really possible unless you pay for the boards of being, you know, to get things in the MLS. So it's kind of, I mean, that's been the kind of the stiff arm out of it. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what's going to get disrupted. But because um, I don't think if I put my house on sale by owner, it's going to come up on a Zillow or a Redfin, right? I think you can list it on Zillow. I don't know. I'm just making. Yeah, that's a great question. But I, I have a feeling you can list something with Zillow, but I don't, I don't even know. But yeah, you think you think it'd be an option. But I think now more than ever, if you want to see a, if you're in the market to see a house, mm-hmm. you can see them all yourself on Redfin or Zillow, and then you like. Sure. You know, hey, I've got an agent, you know, a guy, a gal I like. You need the MLS, really. You don't really need Well, it's pulling from the MLS. Yeah. I mean, it's it's getting all the data from the MLS. That's true. I think ultimately the MLS is probably. Feeding into it. And yeah, yeah, is the the source of truth there. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you don't, like if you're, which is great because a a buyer now gets access to what real estate, only what real estate agents used to have. That's it. Right. What's interesting is, and coming from the commercial world. Mm Mm-hmm. If you want a property, you go directly to the listing agent and you let him or her represent you. Yeah. You go, hey, I want this property. They're more incentive to do it. <laughs> they are certainly more incentivized to do that. And I think it's that way also in this market that we're in because the listings sure. are king in this market. Yeah, I would say that it's not as prominent. I mean, certainly it's, you know, dual agency is is perfectly acceptable. And if they you go down still to 4% a, usually, right? If you're yeah, dual. I mean, you'll reduce it. I mean, it's a function of how you neg- how the listing agent negotiates it with the seller. Right. And as long as you maintain a fiduciary responsibility to both sides, which is difficult. Sure. I mean, you're wearing... You want us to close. Well, yeah, and you're wearing, you know, what side is the shoe fitting on, you know? Yeah. Um, Probably the, the, where the money comes from. Which is the seller. Yeah. Um, they're paying for it. Um, so certainly there could be some reduced fee. But, I mean, I think that a good listing agent will probably know how to source the buyer. That's why they kind of got the listing because they're active in that market, yeah. you know, unless. And then, you know, and there's a lot of different ways buyers find agents to represent them or way they find agent, you know, on both the, both sides, right? You want to yeah. know somebody that's got an inside track, right? Pocket. List. Yeah, exactly. Like I've got, you know, relationships with realtors that I've put in touch with friends mm-hmm. that, you know, I got teed up with a loan officer at C2 and they found them deals that otherwise wouldn't have known about, even though they were looking on Riffin every day or whatever, you right. know? So right. I think there's value there if they have, sure. you know, everybody wants that off market deal or that pocket listing, but yeah. Those sometimes exist. They're just probably not that realistic as sellers. True. Unless you get some, you know, you get your golden pen out and say, what's your number? How bad do you want And it? usually those pocket listings go to <clears> like a friend, you know, or the agent's like, you should buy this place. And, you know, it, it happens. Um, what what other missed opportunities are there in the market right now for mortgage brokers? Well, right now, I, I think that mortgage brokers are probably you know, pounding their chest on the fact that it is a great, it is a good time to buy. If you're, if there's a, if they have clients that are on the fence that are capable of buying in this market with the way interest rates are, they should. Right. Um, because when interest rates come down and everybody that's been waiting on the sidelines for that to happen, it's just going to be even harder to get a place than it is now. Um, and I don't think it's going to come down to the point where inventory is just going to pop up because everybody that's been sitting on their, 3% 3% mortgage goes, well, I guess I can stomach a five and a half percent. I guess, you know, yeah. you know, I, there'll be, there'll be more of that because there will. Be, the buy down can, 
like the seller can maybe buy down the rate and get in the fours or something like that. But yeah, it's going to take time for people. I mean, people, some people have the two and a half, 2% rates. Like it's like insane, right? So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to cause, you know, they said that, the, that all of a sudden all these investors are going to list, you know, the Airbnb bubble where they're going to list their Airbnbs because they're not making as much money and that never happened. You know, what else? Like the COVID thing that was going to be a big bubble pop that didn't happen. What do you think it would take for, for more, you know, for there to be a crash or I, I just don't see it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's scary. I mean, my, I really, my whole, my goal and, and kind of what drives me daily is to empower the possibility of home ownership. Yeah. I think that if you, if we lose that and we live in a world where, you know, huge hedge funds that have, you know, siphoned out all the liquidity, create a world where you own nothing and you will be happy, <laughs> then we're going to be in a world of hurt, a nation of hurt for sure. Um, so I think that. Well, I think they're saying that to the world. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're taking it because we're in the United States, but, you know, every country has home, you know, you can be a homeowner, pretty much every country. I mean, I, I would even bet you could buy a house in Russia. <laughs> You know? It's cold. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cold. Um, but but like, you know, you look at Mexico, you, know, you can buy houses in Mexico, you can buy houses in Italy. I see all these like, you know, incentives to buy. You could buy this insane Tuscany place for $300,000. I saw this. that. I saw I'm that. Like, I was like, ooh, that looks this nice. Is I, can, I love Italian this, Is there food. Wi-Fi? And, you know, <laughs> yeah. The problem with that, <laughs> the problem with that is you're waking, you're going out for dinner when everybody's waking up in California to get to work. You're like, damn it. I, I have a friend, a good timing's friend, off. <laughs> you know, that lived in Italy and they lived there for six months and he did mortgages. Yeah. He spent the whole day with his family and then at like right after dinner, he went on, he went on his web, his computer online, callbacks, you know. Hey, if you figure out the balance to win. Pulled it off. I don't know. I mean. I mean, it's a great. He's not. He never went back, though. He, he, he lives here now. So. Yeah. It's not like it was that cool that he's back <laughs> there. But, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, so back to the point of, like, if you own nothing and you're happy. But you're, you're right. Like, if that's completely a, a kind of like. If you think about that, that's a completely in the face of what we do and what our careers are. Our careers are financing, ownership. These guys that are quote unquote elite or you know whatever mm -hmm. they're, they're at the top are saying you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, which is just insane. I mean, I get it with like, you know, you don't own your music anymore. You don't own your movies, your DVDs. Like you don't own those, but you just sort of rent them and you just, hey, we're happy with that. Like we're... You know, like you don't like you don't have to own a car. You can Uber, right? And there's happiness in that, but there's also happiness in just. I think that's a whole di different shift of what our culture is. Like our our culture shifting to like the share cult, like the sharing. You know what I'm talking about? Like like a sharing environment versus mm -hmm. versus an ownership environment. Environment, but the ownership is what builds wealth for sure. When it's <clears> an <throat> asset, right? When it's an appreciating asset, things that are like. DVDs and music. I mean, it's like, it's, there's no wealth building in that. So. Unless you own a component of it, unless you're in some, you know, a CD, but the music on it, you have the royalties too, or right. you, you have the writing rights or, you know, you, you, there's some piece of it that you created on there and you're getting a royalty from it. I mean, right. But it's, that's, it's tough. And I, I agree. I think it's that power of ownership is something that can't be, you know, 
excused or excluded. I mean, it has to be at the top of mind. And that is got to be something that people strive for and, yeah. and they're prideful about. And because there is something very prideful about owning, 100%. having ownership, oh, yeah. you know, and, and how you wake up and how you enter your day and how you make an impact in your community is, you know, and what you come home to sure. is a huge way of, you know, it's a function of how you live and where you, you know, and, and if you own that place and it's not dictated by someone else, um, I think you're gonna be a lot happier in the long run. You're going to build more wealth. You're going to set yourself up for a, you know, longer term success and you're not on a hamster wheel all day, every day, right. you right. know? Uh, I mean, I think the, there's a tremendous amount of people that have equity locked up in their home. Mm-hmm. Why we have reverse division, but that otherwise wouldn't have been there. It's uh, otherwise wouldn't have been something people could utilize, whether it's leverage or actually, you know, whatever, whatever they want. I mean, they can do whatever they want with their home. Well, it's like, it's so life changing <clears throat> for so many people. Like my, my, my parents are not rich, but they were able to buy a house like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the appreciation on that thing is so much and it's completely changed their life. Like if they didn't do that and they just rented, I mean, they're, they're for, for one, their mortgage payment is been locked mm-hmm. for years and years and years and years. This is one reason why I, I, I like some of what Grant Cardone says, but I hate when he says you shouldn't own your primary because I look at my parents, I think, if they didn't own their primary, they would be paying, you know how much rent they'd be paying compared to what their mortgage is? I mean, it's it's astronomical how much money, uh, you know, you lock in your rent. If When you get a 30-year fix, you lock that payment in for, for 30 years, as long as you don't refi, right? But then, you know, rent keeps going up and up and up over 30 years. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the only way for anyone that's, you know, growing in age and getting older to, to be able to have... You know, one, a locked payment, and two, build building some kind of equity to give give back or do a reverse or right. have a have a great quality of life as they get older. Well, it's a it's a function of what you need. You yeah. know, there's wants and needs. <clears throat> if you wanna have a house that's more than you can afford and doesn't make sense to do it, but you wanna have it, then it's like then it doesn't make sense. If it means you if if you need to buy a property for whatever reason, which, you know, for income producing, you know, for long-term, you know, equity growth or, you know, wealth creation, then you can, and you're, you know, a single person, then maybe you stay in your apartment, but you buy, you know, apartment building, yeah. or you just buy what you need, right? Yeah, if you can for buy sure what you, you should need. buy. I mean, like, that's a good advice. You should buy yeah. property. But like, if you are someone that's like, you know, young, maybe you shouldn't buy your primary, right? Like maybe that's, I could see that being good advice. But I think when you're, you know, getting older and you have a career, Owning a primary has changed my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my first property I bought was a fourplex. Yeah. I lived in one of the units, rented out the other three. That's, um, that's, that's the win. Because I didn't need where I was in my life. I didn't need to have a house. I just needed an apartment. Yeah. And I, you know, had enough money saved to do that. And it made sense for me at the time. And luckily I locked in a good interest rate. Was it on a 10 year note? And I think that's another misconception. People have a, are fixated in their mind that I got to have a 30 year fixed. Sure. People's lives change and they make moves. I would say generally around seven year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people will buy this house and they think that this is going to be the house forever, but it's, I would say historically a seven year or a 10 year will always beat a 30 year. You're going to refinance it. Yeah. And that's why we have a saying at C2, especially right now is, um, Buy the home, date the rate, divorce the rent. <laughs> That's um, good. Rent is is you know is a it's like a that should be the death cycle or the death contract because it's like you know that's the hamster wheel. 
you know, sure, sure, like the landlord could fix the toilet, whatever, right? Like, but you can also call a handyman or you can do it yourself. Like, it's not that big a deal. Um, but the, the, the wealth growth and all the other things with the locked in, you know, even if it's locked in for seven years, you know how much rent goes up, has gone up in the last three years? Astronomical, right? So, and sure, it might unless come back in, down. Unless, you're, unless there's rent control, which... Yeah, which sucks. As a property as an investor. <laughs> control. Yeah, so, but it's what it is. I mean, yeah. so, yes, uh, rents have generally gone up. Do you, do, you, do you follow Grant Cardone? Do you like him? I do. Uh, I saw him speak at um, an event not that long ago. He's an interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize he had a twin brother. Oh, really? But I think he's, they look a little different, but they're they're twins, yeah. Hmm. One's had a little better life, maybe. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I, I always like I, I liked kind of what he was saying in the beginning. And then when I heard that, I was like, I disagree. And even I'm, like, um, what's, what's the other guy? Um, uh, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, yeah. He's also on that path of like, don't own your primary, I think. I think I've heard him say that. But I'm all about 10x. You know, I, I love the ambitious approach. Uh, I don't, you know, in terms of multiplying your business and, and and getting to larger scale yeah. and using leverage. I think there's a lot of components of what he says that are, that are great and good, um, good advice. I, yeah. I think selling everything and dumping all your, your money out of your account to like, you know, to put you in a place that's super scrappy, which is kind of the place he comes from is one approach, right. but it's not really my approach. I mean, I think it's always important to have at least one year savings, your cost of livings, your, your annual cost of living, having at least one year saved gives you enough cushion to be entrepreneurial and not so, um, you know, on edge, you know, yeah. if, if you lose your job and then you've been thinking about something to do, it gives you an opportunity. It just gives you some kind of cushion to either you're going to figure out, you're going to get your, your, yourself back on your feet within a year for sure. Oh yeah. For um, sure. so I think that's something to consider is always having one year cushion. It's harder to do than, Oh yeah. Right. Like, I mean, we, we all know, we all have seen 1003s. We see what the, <clears throat> the reserves are. I always get fascinated, though, when I'd see reserves and people would have so much money in stocks. And I'd be like, wow, like, you've really done well. You've put your money in, you know. And, but, but a lot of people just don't have extra cash. They don't have extra savings. You know, I just, I, I'm fascinated, especially in America, that how many people live paycheck to paycheck. Totally. Yeah. But to have a year, I mean, even to have a month or two months, right, would, would be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, the more the you better. Can make, you can be much more risk adverse, you know, yeah. and you can take bigger chances, be more entrepreneurial. And it's interesting to me. I think a lot of our loan officers are savvy enough to know that they were in a refi boom. Yep, there was a huge opportunity. They were at the right place at the right time. I mean, it was incredible to be where we were in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and being like perfectly positioned in an eye of a storm to go. Okay, people are stuck in their homes. We're stuck at our house but we can do all this from here remote. Yeah. And they were knocking it out of the park. I walked into the corporate office. We were facilitating like 3,500 loans a month. Amazing. And I could almost hear a pin drop. You know, it <laughs> was, was it was really, really wild. It was pretty wow. incredible. But um, I'd love to see that's, I mean, outside the COVID situation, it'd be great to have a refi. We like don't that want a repeat of COVID, but we yeah. want a repeat Just of the rates. Rate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on, um, Jerome. <laughs> what is your best advice for a mortgage broker right now in this this almost in December, 2023, wrapping up the year. Do you think they should just take the rest of the year off or do you think they should double down, reach out to their customers? What's like a really good piece of advice for a mortgage broker? Make goals. For 24? Absolutely. The only thing that will circumvent 
market conditions, anything you can't control is what you can control. That's making goals and utilizing those goals to back into your efforts. Mm. If you want to have close this many loans, it means I need to talk to this many people. It means I need to make this many calls. It means this many emails, whatever it is, you yeah. know, however you reverse engineer that is the best thing you can do because yeah. you know, you have the tools, you know, you have the talent. It's just putting in the work. And if you make a goal and you write it down and you, you know, whether it's, you put it in a drawer, or you write it on your mirror, your body and your mind will be like a heat seeking missile to, to hit that goal. If you create the actionable items to achieve it. That's good. I love that. Pause the podcast right now, <laughs> write down your goal. I'm talking to you listener, write down your goal, which you want to do in 2024, make it big. Don't make it, don't make it just, you know, weak. Think big, write down what you want. And then you have to put back into it. Yeah, reverse engineer it. What's so it like, take? how do I get to, but let's say next year I want to do a thousand loans. That's a mm -hmm. lot, right? Then how would you get to that? So you'd start saying, well, I need to do this divide well, by how 12. Does, what, what, yeah, what are the things you got to do to get one loan? Yeah. And multiply it by a thousand. Right. Or you, know? you can even go backwards to like, like, okay, well, each month that I'm going to need to do this many. And then by then I need to make these, this many calls or I need to have this many referral sources in place. With this. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, then, and then maybe it, it gets to a point where, okay, well, if, I need to hit it. I'm only going to be able to, my personal efforts can only do this much. Yep. But once I get to that much, then I have this much and I can invest and I can bring on this, this amount of support. Mm -hmm. So then you can train, you can mentor, you can grow a team and, and then you can grow, you can 10 X it like Gardone. Yes. 10 X. <laughs> why not? I mean, it's there. People, Absolutely. people are doing it. Um, any shout outs? Well, I'd love to give a shout out to you and your partner, Chad. You guys have been, you know, great in the non-QM space, doing Thank phenomenal you. things for, for entrepreneurs like yourself. You got one of my best friends, his loan on a home right before his wife had a beautiful baby boy. And that's kind of what drives me, them sending me a photo of them in front. Actually, I took a photo of them when I went and saw him, just him in front of his house with his wife and his baby and his dog. Smiling I was like, ear to ear and that's what it's all about, you know? Um, but a shout out to all the loan officers out there now that, our survivors, you know, the warriors that, yep. you know, that renewed their license, that remain true to their craft, that continue to deliver value to borrowers, you know, you know, whether buyers or owners and the referral partners, you know, and, and also a big shout out to referral partners sending deals to C2. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So how does someone find C2, find you if they want to reach out? Yeah. Um, www.c2financial.com. Uh, there's a join link there. You can certainly check that out. We have a, you know, Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. Um, my on my personal Instagram is just at David Temko, T E M K O, no P. Um, so you can find me there. Hit me up. Yeah, you're always giving like good advice. So um, I follow you and like all those. I think one time you're in a robe and you're like telling telling like what to do, and I was just like, yeah, this you is gotta, good stuff. Got to mix it up, keep it spicy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and uh, reach out to Dave. And if you're looking for a home, C2 is a great spot. Also, please, again, like, share, subscribe, comment. Let us know who you want to see on this podcast. We're here for you. Give back value. So, again, thanks for joining. See you on the next one. Thanks for joining. Right on. All right. The Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast.